Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go to the vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. At about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and going to the first. When those hired at five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, The last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the heat of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me to work for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So said Jesus, the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. Let's bow together and pray. We pray in this moment for an openness of spirit. To hear beyond the usual hearing, to see beyond the usual seeing to think together about what it means to walk humbly with you, O God. May we, in this time of preaching and hearing and thinking together, be awakened to that which will help us to be more fully and wholly your beloved children. In the name of Christ, who came to show us the way, we pray. Amen. So we think this morning about what it might mean for you and me to walk humbly with God. When you walk with someone, there are decisions, both spoken and unspoken, that need to be made in any walk. Where are you going? Is this just a stroll or is there some intention to it? Who will set the pace and what will the pace be? If there's a dog involved, who will be the leash person and who will be the bag man, as in my case? (laughs) Will there be conversation? And if so, uh, who will initiate the conversation and what will it be about? And then how will these questions differ if there's a shift now from thinking about a literal walk with someone 
to walking with God. What does it mean to to walk with God? For some people, this is not a question. They do not believe in God. I'm talking about people who are not like many of us, who have our usual questions and doubts, but rather people whose lives just don't have space or place for any sense of mystery or more. There's no sense of mercy. There's no sense of mysticism or metaphor. And therefore, there's no place in their logic for God. These are either the cynics or the enlightenment rationalists who just say there is no God. So for them, to talk about walking with God would feel like a a fairy tale, or even worse, a lie. Then there are other people who are also rationalists. They come at the question of God mostly from their heads. But these are people who have formed a construct, an understanding of God, that's very carefully assembled, very perfectly proportioned. It's much like a, a model airplane that you made when you were a teenager, and it's impressive to look at, but you really can't play with it. You really can't touch it. You can't, can't handle it too much, or it begins to fall apart, and so has limited use. There are still other people, of course, who walk with God. But their notion of walking with God is having God as sort of like a sidekick, a tag-along, a mascot, just a little buddy. These are the folks who refer to God as the big man upstairs, who kind of check in every once in a while with God, but really don't have a sense of mystical communion with God. There are still others, many of them in churches today, who understand to walk with God on a very personal and individual kind of uh, relationship. These are the folks who tend to sing songs that we sometimes refer to as Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. There are lots of them that are popular today, but we've had them throughout history. Here's one of them. It's a great hymn. In many ways, but it's very private. It's very personal. And it's very limited in one's understanding of walking with God. It goes like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Do you know this song? It's a lovely song. But it's not a song about everyday life. It's not a song about real life. You have to go to the garden, to that special place to be with God, rather than finding God in your daily life and it calling you to see the world differently. But then there are those people who go beyond a notion of God as logic or God as heavenly dictator or God as some kind of mental construct, or God as mascot, or God as boyfriend, to God as the spirit of perfect love, which pervades and connects and draws and invites us to a wholeness and a kind of unity within ourselves, and then with everything else in all of creation. What would it mean 
to walk with this kind of God. The phrase walking humbly with God in a sense feels like a redundant statement. I mean, to walk with one whom, as the Book of Common Prayer puts it, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known and new secrets kept hidden, any walk with this kind of God is certainly going to be a walk of humility. So to walk humbly with God feels like a redundant statement. But spiritual, spiritual humility is not the same thing as the kind of shame and embarrassment and emotional beatdown that many of us think of when we hear the word humility. This week, Public Broadcasting System has been airing the documentary on the Roosevelts. There was a line early on about the New York Roosevelts and their prominence and how, how important they were to the city. The commentator said, around the Roosevelts, no one stood straight. That kind of humility, which is a kind of feeling less than. Spiritual humility moves beyond this. Humility is when you know enough to know that you don't know it all. And therefore, you have an openness. No matter how intelligent, no matter how how theologically trained you are, there remains within you this openness to mystery and life that's bigger than you, that's always wooing and drawing you. It's this awakening realization that I talked about last week where on the one hand we recognize that we are absolutely beloved by God and at the same time to recognize we are not exceptional. And that both of these have to be held and, and kept in tension, if you will. We are beloved by God, but we're not exceptional. That is to say, the world doesn't revolve around us. We are a part of a larger whole here. And that we're invited to play our part. And in that regard, we are all equal. Every one of us is equal. The minister in the black robe and the person who sits in the pew, we're equal. Black people and white people, we're equal. Gay and straight, young and old, rich and poor, Ph.D. and persons with mental disabilities, we're all equal in the eyes of God. I love the Apostle Paul who reminds us there are many parts to the body of Christ And we're all members of this body, and we each have our own particular gift. So that one can't say, I'm better than the rest. We all have a part to play. I think this is the ultimate invitation that we human beings need to let go on the one hand of our fears and our embarrassments, and on the other hand to let go of our arrogance and our need to control And our need to win and protect and prove. On the one hand, we're not exceptional. We're part of this larger whole. And on the other hand, we are beloved by God. For who we are in our very selves, each one of us carries this sense of the wholeness of God. The beauty and the potential of the the sacred being born into the world. And so we are beloved. We're more than the sum of our titles and the stuff that we accrue and the things that our egos often identify as me. 
It is this invitation, I think, to find our true self by walking with God. Walking in the rhythm, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, in this harmony with God, in step with the one who says you are beloved, even as you are not exceptional. And so our lectionary readings this morning provide us with stories of people who to continue to push up against this God who wants us to know we're beloved, even if not exceptional. There are two stories of grumbling. Some of you are very well familiar with grumbling. Those of you who are parents of teenagers this morning know all about grumbling. <clears throat> the first story comes from the book of Exodus, the children of Israel. They don't like their newfound liberation in the deserts of the promised land, for the space between the promised land and the slavery of Egypt. They don't like it. They'd rather go back to slavery. And so they begin to grumble. We could have just stayed there rather than died here in the wilderness. The gospel reading has the story, the parable of the workers in the vineyard who grumble. They don't think it's fair. It's not fair that they worked all day and they're going to get the same wages. And frankly, there are people today, most of you in this room, would agree with what they have to say. It doesn't make any sense, Jesus. It's not fear. fair. If we were to take a poll this morning, I think most of us would vote this parable off the island. <laughs> it's not fair, Jesus. By the world's eyes, it makes no sense. The early employees deserve more. They worked longer. In fact, we at Highland Baptist Church are going to rise up and form a union. We're going to cause a strike until they get their fair wages. But what if we could reframe this parable? What if we could see this scene differently so that work is not seen as drudgery, something I have to do, but rather work is seen as your life, the opportunity to live and be part of something that's bigger than you, who you are, to come and work in God's vineyard to do this new thing that gives you a sense of identity. I know who I am. I'm a worker in the vineyard of God, and I don't have to worry all the day long about where my daily bread, where this manna is going to come from. It's going to come because I'm a child of God. And just like God provided for the ch children of Israel in, in the wilderness with manna and quail, and just as in the parable, at, the, at the 5 o'clock in the evening, all are invited to come and work, so too this vineyard of God invites us all to see life differently. To recognize that to be called into the work, whether early or late, is always joy. Because it tells you who you are. We don't have to fight. We don't have to scrap. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to compete. We don't have to demand more. We are workers in the vineyard. This parable is a radical invitation, I think. It has been for me this week. To think differently, to see differently, to interpret and frame my life differently, to recognize that we find our security and our worth 
in God. A congregation like this, frankly, is one of the hardest churches, hardest groups to hear this truth. For you're capable, you're educated, you're able to accomplish much. And so it's very tempting for you and me to depend on what we can do. What can we accomplish? What can we acquire? How can we be best? When the dream of God is this, to build our life on the gift of being part of this great vineyard of God, that's who we are. It changes how we see the world and it invites us to build our lives on the solid rock rather than on the sinking sand of what I can accomplish, on what we can accomplish. I see your eyes rolling back in your heads because I realize this sounds like religious talk. And it is. But it's not in the traditional or popular sense. For I'm afraid that way too often, religion is more about masking over, perfuming over our anxieties and fears, our needs to accomplish. Sometimes we baptize them and celebrate them as things God gave us when really they're things that we've acquired. The deeper invitation of this parable and throughout the life and witness of Jesus is to find our true self, who you really are, by placing your hand in the hand of God. So the question for you and me today is this. Who is your walking partner? Who are you walking with? Fred Craddock tells a story from his years of pastoring in Tennessee. He said there was this beautiful little girl, seven years old, who would come to church every Sunday. She's part of the Sunday school program and would stay for the church service and sit by herself, or maybe her Sunday school teacher. But every week her parents would drop her off at the church. In fact, he said, we even made it convenient for the parents. We put in a circular driveway so they could just drive up and drop off the child at church and then go on back home until church was over. He said the mom and dad were prominent people in the city. They'd moved there a couple of years ago from New Jersey with the new chemical plant that had come to town. And they were these kind of upwardly mobile, ambitious kinds of people. They drove the right kind of car. They lived in the right neighborhood. They wore the right kind of clothes. They sent their daughter to the right kind of school. And they didn't really need church, but the grandparents were putting pressure. So they took the little girl to church, but they themselves didn't need church. One of the things that this mother and father did do, though, was on Saturday nights host these lavish parties every weekend. It was part of their upward mobility. In fact, it was quite a coup if you were invited to one of these Saturday parties where there was lots of food, lots of drink, and in fact, the rumor on the street was that some of these parties got pretty wild. So one Sunday morning when Craddock looked out at the congregation and saw the little girl as she was there each week, but sitting next to her on either side was her mother and father, he was a little taken back. And after the sermon, when he delivered the invitation and the congregation began to sing, 
Here come mom and dad down the aisle to profess their faith and to become part of the community of faith. Well, of course, everyone was happy to welcome them, and people came and greeted them after the service, and someone took their picture for the newsletter. And, and then when things began to die away, Craddock went up to him and said, Well, I'm interested. What, what prompted this? You've heard about our parties, they asked. I've heard about your parties. Well, last night we had one of our parties. We put our daughter to bed and people began to arrive and we began to drink. and We had a lot to drink and we, be, we got pretty loud and it woke our daughter up. And she came to the top of the stairs and saw us all down there eating and drinking. And she came down the stairs and said, oh, you're eating together. Can I say the blessing? And before anybody could respond, she bowed her head and said, God is great. God is good. And we thank God for our food. Amen. Good night, everyone. And she went back up the stairs, and the people just stood. And someone said, oh, look at the time. It's, uh, we really need to go. Yeah, said someone else, it's, uh, we've got a big day tomorrow. We need to be moving on. Someone else said, oh, I'm sure we've overstayed our welcome. They, they said within two minutes, the room was empty. And as they began to clean up from the party picking up the wine glasses and the napkins and the cigarette ashtrays and the half-eaten sandwiches. They stood on either side of the sink, and the husband said what they were both thinking. Where do we think we're going? Where do you think you're going? Who's your walking partner? And what would it mean for you to walk with this one, hand in hand, heart in heart, life in life, until there's a unity, a oneness with God that makes all of life worth living? Let's pray together. Holy One, Every day, you offer to walk with us in our time, in our terrain, in the temperature of our day, through the deepest valleys and through the, up to the highest mountains, to make our lives not only bearable, but joyful. Grant us the humility to take your hand, to join your heart, to walk in unison with you. To your glory now and always through Christ, we pray. Amen.